morning, good morning. How's everybody today? Praise God. Uh, I wanted to just mention to you, you know, last Sunday if you were here, of course we, uh, and it's always available to you on our website, our podcast, and on Facebook, but we we talked about, you know, uh, are we headed for the Great Tribulation, and we talked about a kind of a different view, and uh, so after the service, uh, Ron, that's been up here, our elder, he reminded me of a book that when I was, I taught on that several years ago, here on Wednesday nights, I think we did five nights, five weeks, but there is a book that you can order, and it's called Victorious Eschatology, and it's by a guy that I personally know, Harold Eberly. He's actually been here. I've had him here at the church to preach for us. He's from, uh, I think he's from Washington State, but just a great, great man of God. And and in that book, he lays that all out. Uh, I really didn't even know at that time when I was teaching on it that he had a book. And I won't say that I agree with, he and I agree on every single little detail, but it is a great book and it's available on Amazon. And I had really forgotten about it, and Ron come up last Sunday, so I didn't, didn't want to forget that. I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in more and you want to see how we view that, come up with the Great Tribulation as something that's in, the, in your past. It's not something that's in your future. And so all the scriptures are there, and he carries you through that, and you just reach your own conclusion. But if you're interested, I wanted to leave you with a, with a resource that you could, uh, could find, and I did double-check, and it's still available on Amazon, as well as my book is available. <laughs> uh, poor, it's a poor rooster that won't crow in his own yard, right? So, uh, so my book is available to you, and and we just we we thank God. We we time to time get you know people to write me and and stuff from all over, and I didn't even you know I guess they they can get it anywhere in the world, I reckon. And so we're so thankful for that. Uh, I want you to turn around, shake somebody's hand, elbow them, touch them, fist bump them, whatever you're comfortable with. Welcome them to Grace Point this morning. Tell them we're so glad to see them. Thank you, JT. Love you, buddy. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and Ron was reminding me too, you can get with Pastor Johanna, call the church office, and we can get you the CDs uh, that we did several years ago on those Wednesday nights, and where, where I do that as well, carry you through. And basically, Matthew 24 was written to the Jews and, uh, and, and their situation that they were in. And anyway, so we cover that for you step by step. And, and uh, you know, it's always my heart to tell you the truth, but, and, and the gospel is truth. And, and it's good news. You know, I, I, uh, I'm always confused by these preachers that say they're going to preach bad news to you as if that's the gospel means good news. There's no bad news contained in the good news. It's not a mixture of good and bad news. It's all good news. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to let you be seated this morning. Uh, I was reading something this week that... Uh, uh, where Buddha, you heard of that guy, right? And it's a religion. And uh, but uh, his last, this was his, this is is recorded as his last words before he died. Uh, he said to his followers, those that were by his bedside, uh, he said, "Try to accomplish your aim with diligence. Try to accomplish your aim with diligence." That's his last words. Uh, and so, in other words, he's exhorting his followers to work hard. To work hard. Now, what was Jesus' last words? It is what? It, it is finished. And Jesus was simply saying, rest in the finished work that I've done. Uh, it, I mean, and so what religion does is religion, all religions basically have this common denominator. They basically have a ladder and they say if you work hard enough and if you live good enough and if you do this and you do that, then you can climb that ladder to God and however they define God. But the Bible tells us and actually has a, 
a picture of it in the Old Covenant when Jacob had a, went into a vision and he saw a ladder descend from heaven. And, was, and the Bible says it was set up on the earth, reached all the way into heaven. Now, we know now that that ladder was not a ladder, but that ladder was a person and his name is Jesus. And, 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 and you didn't have to, to ascend to God because that's an impossibility, but God descended to us and he became that ladder to put us in. In other words, God became. God, for God so loved, he came. And, and so that's what makes, makes uh, our, our faith uh, so, so different than anything, unparalleled with anything uh, that, that's in the world. Um, I want to talk to you today, and just we're just, I'm going to entitle this The Problem Beneath the Problem. You know, a lot of times in, in most everybody's life, there, there's a, you say, well, they have a problem, and then they go with this. They have a, a problem with drinking, say, or they have a problem with drugs, or they have a problem with whatever you can fill in the blank. But that's really not the problem. It, but it looks like the problem to someone that's observing, but that's the person's solution to their problem. In other words, they have a problem, but the problem that we see is not really the problem. Am I making any sense at all? And, and so they, they, they wrongly and falsely turn to that. Now that, that thing can very well, and most of the time, is a problem in their life, but that's not the problem. In other words, you know, you can tell a person, well, stop this and stop that and don't do drugs and don't drink and you know, don't you know all the things that you want to fill in the blank and name, but but as I've said many times, you will never change a person's behavior by addressing their behavior. You should have learned that by now, right? In other words, when somebody tells you to quit it, that doesn't mean you're going to quit it just because they've identified the problem or what they perceive to be the problem. You, you, you'll never change a person's behavior, yours or anyone else's until their belief system changes. In other words, a person does what they do because of what they believe, and that's, and that's a fact. I mean, but what we believe is so extremely important because what we believe determines what we will do. Now, a lot of people can say, well, I believe this, this, and this, but their lives don't match up with that. They live a different life than what they say they believe in. They go, well, I believe in God, I believe in, but their life doesn't match it. You don't see the evidence or the fruit of that uh, in their life, most people tend to believe that their major problem is something that has happened to them in their life and that they believe in all these religions and all this philosophy in the world teaches that the solution can be found within us. In other words, you don't need anything. It's the, you know, you just got to look within. And that is a very common uh, denominator of all these thoughts and philosophies of the world, you know, that you, you have it within you. Just look within. And in other words, they believe that they have an outer a problem that can be resolved with an inner solution. But that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches that we got an inner problem. In other words, we start out with an inner problem and that that problem we have demands an outer solution. Well, in other words, you can't save yourself. You can't cure yourself. You can't, you can't do any of those things. Now, I want you to imagine with me. Imagine that you go to the doctor this week. And, uh, and, and you have a problem, of course, and that's why you're going. And so you go to the doctor and you see the doctor for your problem. He runs some tests. He comes back in. He's holding your chart. Uh, he looks at your chart and he says these words to you. Don't worry. Your sins are forgiven. That's what he says to you. Okay. Now, aside from the question of how in the world does this doctor have the ability to forgive my sins, uh, you're going to be very perplexed because the doctor is responding to a physical problem with a moral solution. In other words, you went there for a physical problem, and what this doctor looks at you and says, don't worry about it, your sins are forgiven. And you would go, this, this doesn't even make sense. This is not what I came here for. Well, that same story, that same illustration is, is, is displayed powerfully in Luke chapter 5. And uh, verse set, beginning in verse 17, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, but I want to approach it from that standpoint because that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, let me just say to you without maybe reading all the verses, but th this is the story of uh, Jesus is at a home. He's preaching and teaching the gospel. It is packed out. Uh, the Bible says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are sitting by. 
uh, and, and it says something very interesting in verse 17. It says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Everybody say them. How many knows them is more than one person? So in other words, the gospel is telling us that there's more people in that room that needed healing than one person. Now the story goes like this, that there were some guys, obviously they're friends or acquaintances with this paralyzed man, and he's on a cot, he's on a stretcher, and they want to get him to Jesus, but they can't get to Jesus because it's too crowded. So they don't give up, thank God for those guys, and they find a way to get on this flat roof, which was typical of the houses in, in uh, Jerusalem and all that land in that day. And they get up on the roof and they literally tear the roof off. They tear the tiles off. And you got to figure they have to remove enough tiles to lower at least a six by, say, six by three, six by four. They got to have some ropes. They got, and they, they literally tear the roof off the place to lower this guy in. Man, what, what a blessing it is to have friends like that. I mean, how far would you go to get somebody to Jesus? Would you walk across the street and talk to your neighbor? How far would you go to get somebody to Jesus? These brothers would not be denied. They said, we got to get this guy to Jesus. Now, why are they bringing him to Jesus? It's not hard. Why are they bringing a paralyzed guy to Jesus? To be physically healed, right? He has a physical problem. They're bringing him to Jesus. He, he's paralyzed. And, and, it, and it, it seems to allude to me that this guy was not born paralyzed. Uh, it takes great, great faith to, to believe that if you were born a certain way that you could ever overcome it. And it makes me believe that this is something that has happened to this man. Something happened to him and he became paralyzed and now they are carrying him to Jesus with his physical problem. They are determined. They have heard that Jesus heals people like this and they, and they lower this guy in. Of course, Jesus stops preaching and it says when he saw their faith, he didn't see the man's faith. It didn't say that the man didn't have any, but he didn't see his faith. He said when he saw their faith. Faith is visible. You can see faith because faith without works is dead. So faith, if you say you have faith, then you'll do something concerning your faith. If you say I have faith in Jesus, then you'll live a different life than somebody that doesn't have faith in Jesus. So we're not saved by our works. Our faith is not our works, but our works just demonstrate our faith. The problem you hear a lot of Christians say, if I just had more faith, you know, all we, if I just had more faith, if I just had more faith, then I would be, a, that's, that's, that's just a total lie. The faith you have, the Bible said God has given to every man the, not a, the measure of faith. You already have been given the measure of faith. When did you get it? You got it as a gift from God. God doesn't give inferior products. He doesn't give limited products. You, ha you have all the faith you need. God gifted you that faith. The faith you used to believe in God was a gift to you. You didn't even come up with that. Now, the faith of God gets stirred up in this when we hear the word of God. That's why the Bible says the, the, pre the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Why? Was it something special that day? Was it just special that day? No, the Bible's telling us that anytime the word of God is being preached and taught, the power of the Lord is present to heal. God's power is always present. If the word is going forth, the Holy Spirit is always wanting to confirm that word in your life. That, that's, that's just a trait of God. If the word of the Lord is going forth. Now, I used to, even as a preacher, I didn't know that. I thought God had this arbitrarily thing. You know, he's like spinning the wheel, hitting the lottery, you know, you're, you know, uh, you know whatever the deal is. I, I thought, even as a young evangelist, I thought that God at times would just pour out buckets. You know, he would, he would just, sometimes God would move. And then, you know. But if you, if, as I look back now over all these decades, it, it, it was really not, like that. It, it, God doesn't have these arbitrary, well, I'll bless this church tonight. No, nah, I ain't going to do nothing there today. I don't feel like it. I mean, God's not doing that. But when the word of the Lord is taught and believed, when the word of the Lord is preached, the power of the Lord is present. The power of the Lord is present to do whatever that you need uh, in, in your life. And, and so, so this man is lowered into this room. Jesus stops the preaching. He saw their faith. And, and, and then when, when, when Jesus looks at this man, he says to this man, just like that doctor, he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, his friends are thinking, wait a minute. You know, I mean, forgiveness, that's, that's nice and all. I mean, we appreciate it. But, uh, but, you know, 
we, we came for a healing here. This is, in other words, we, we're here for a physical solution, not a moral solution. And, uh, and so thank you for the forgiveness deal, but we need this guy healed. And, and, uh, but they said, you know, forgiveness is not, the, I'm just, forgiveness is not this guy's problem. And Jesus is saying, yes, it is. The, the friends thought, now we brought him to you to be healed. Jesus says exactly. Yes, you did. And that's what I'm doing. See, the moral problem is the problem beneath the problem. See, the, the problem is not drugs, drinking, adulting, fornicating. That, that's not the problem. Now, the church, we spend so much time boxing shadows and trying to alleviate a problem. I, I've seen Christians do all kind of things, and now some will get mad about it. But, I, you know, I watch Christians that I knew personally spend in certain cities, uh, in Pensacola, Florida, where this one was specifically, and they spend a great amount of time and energy and effort to protest against stores that were selling pornography. And uh, the pastor of the church was called Ken Summerall. Some of you may remember Papa Ken, as we called him. And this was a, a, a man, a mentor of mine, and, and just and he's with the Lord now. But he pastored Liberty Church in Pensacola, Florida, and in a great church. And, and he founded Liberty Bible College and just a great man. And, uh, but he, uh, he, he told me this story. He said that, you know, that they, they did all this. Now, when he got older, you know, he learned a lot of things like all of us do as we go along. And, and in their protest and in their stuff, you know, he, he, uh, uh, he learned some things and, and they spent a lot of energy and they were protesting against these stores, you know, that were selling this stuff and, and they were successful, actually went to court. And they were successful in having those magazines removed. It was comical. Brother Ken told me that they put him on the stand. And the, the defense attorney-like guy was just grilling him, you know, on the witness stand and says, you know, Pastor Ken, have you looked at these magazines that you're protesting? And he said, no. He said, so you mean to tell me that you're protesting against a magazine that you haven't even looked at? He, Brother Ken said my answer to him was that when I was a young boy, I know that you could see a whole lot through a keyhole. You didn't have to look through the whole, you know, open the whole door to see. Uh, and, of course, that made the court kind of laugh, and, and he got by with it. But he said over the course of the years that it took to win those cases, and they had magazines removed in two or three stores, he said ten other stores came open in his town that did the same thing. And he said, I saw that this is going to be a never-ending dilemma here that we're not going to win. And we've been distracted from the primary mission, and we've wasted a lot of time, energy, and money to make ourselves as Christians feel like we accomplished something. He said, what I realize is that if you just preach the gospel to men and their heart changes, you won't have to worry about that. You see what I'm saying? It'll, it'll take care of itself. But what we do is we go after the problem, but we don't go after the problem beneath the problem. And so these friends, they're, 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 you know, they think that the greatest, you know, problem is what they see where he's paralyzed. I want to tell you something. With every crisis, there's always a crisis behind the crisis, whatever it is in your life. And these friends say, well, you know, his greatest dilemma of this paralyzed man's life is this physical paralysis that he's dealing with. And a lot of times you and I get focused on what we perceive to be our biggest problem. And we spend uh, an, an enormous amount of time and energy and effort to try to defeat that. You know, sometimes people have a lot of different kind of problems. It's not always drugs and sex and alcohol. Sometimes it's, you know, chocolate and donuts. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. I realize we had donuts in the lobby, okay, so don't. But I mean, I, but I see a lot of people, you know, it, everybody sometimes has got something you turn to. It could be zoning out on the TV show. It, you know, I mean, the list just goes on. So it's not my deal to try to name it and claim it kind of a deal. But, you know, uh, I mean, it could be bluebell ice cream, you know. That stuff's powerful. 
I've had that stuff call my name when I walk by the refrigerator. I'm in here. <laughs> and I go, yes, you are. Nothing like just sitting down with a whole carton. Forget the bowl. Just give me a spoon. Give me the carton. I got this. We were out in Texas a few weeks ago, and Jill's dad, I didn't realize this. I didn't eat no ice cream when I was out there, but he's a really big fan. He's a Texan, so he's a big fan of Bluebell ice cream. And I remember when they moved to Georgia for those years and dropped this little girl off to me. Uh, I remember that he would talk about Bluebell ice cream, but at that time, they were not east of the Mississippi River. They didn't have any product in this area. And so then later on, boy, I remember, the, you know, when it came available, I mean, oh, God, here's Bluebell ice cream. This is what Pop talked about. And, man, that was some good stuff. And we'd get that. But he, uh, when we were out there, uh, I don't know if you got in that. Somebody got in ice cream. And, and, and so when he, he, that's what he does with the carton. And he's got the spoon because, you know, his wife really doesn't need it. So he, he's the only one that eats it, so it's his, his deal. But when he gets through, he, he does, he swirls it with the spoon, right? That way he knows if somebody messed with it. <laughs> so <laughs> is that true or not? He fixes it where if anybody was to haphazardly get in there, well, somebody got in the ice cream, and he, he, he'll know it. But what I'm saying is sometimes people say, well, your problem is sweets. You need to stop the sweets. You need to lose weight. You need to stop the problem is not that. There's a problem that they're turning to that. There's nothing wrong with eating ice cream, but if you eat you know, a couple gallons a day, it's probably going to cause you some health problems, right? And, and, and so the problem is not the problem. The problem is really beneath what people see because all they can see is the problem, and they can't see the moral thing. They can't see you know, what's, what's happened, what, you know, what, the, what the hurt is. But the paralyzed man thought the problem was something that had happened to him. But his problem was not circumstantial. His problem was spiritual. And it was not the events of his life, but it was the state of his spirit. In other words, if you're not born again and you're listening to me, listen, you are spiritually dead on the inside. And I didn't say that to you. The Bible did. The Bible calls it you're dead in trespasses and sin. In other words, sin has slain you and cut you off from really that connection that we began with in the garden with Adam and Eve with God, that fellowship, that, that closeness, that oneness that, that we lost. It, it wasn't that in the garden we had a big mess up and God got, mm -mm, it was none of that kind of a deal. It's we lost that communion, we lost that, that fellowship with God because we, man through Adam chose another God. And, and, and so it's, it's so important that you realize that what you what the enemy sometimes, there may be sometimes friends and family, they get you focused on something, and you're trying to beat something that, that, that's really not the deal at all. That's, that's not what's causing the problem. And, and there's, I mean, I'm not saying you got to lay on the couch and somebody kill you about childhood and all them deals. I'm just saying there's a problem beneath the problem. And, and you, you would think that sometimes if you can tell somebody, well, this is a problem, don't you see it's a problem yet, why don't you stop it? And they don't stop it. They don't stop it because you can tell them it's a problem, but deep, deep down they won't say it to you, but that's their solution. That's their solution. They, 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 and until they see it as a problem, they've never come to the place or the point where they see that as a, as a problem. Now, one of the greatest illustrations of, of you know, wh how we, what we believe affects us to me, and I won't turn there and take the time because I'm trying to do this rather quickly this morning, but in First. Kings, Old Testament. See, I love the Old Testament in the fact that the Old Testament has to me like a lot of, you know, a word, I'll say it like that, video. In other words, when you read those stories, it, in my mind, it almost plays a video. And that video or that, that, that illustration or that, and it actually happened. It's not like fairy tales. But, but it's, it's displaying a truth or revealing a truth that will be spoken of in, in the Gospels. And so what we got is we got a guy named Elijah. Now, you heard of Elijah, right? And when I say Elijah, most of us think of this, you know, Mount Carmel, praying fire down from heaven, killing the prophets of Baal. I mean, he is like a Rambo on steroids. You know what I'm saying? Because he killed 450 men by himself. You, you, I mean, Rambo ain't never done that, y'all. He did 450 by himself with one sword. No guns needed. No machine guns. Okay. And that's in the Bible. It, it, it happened. Supernaturally, by the, empowered by God. 
Now, Ahab is the king. He's got a wife named Jezebel. Y'all ever heard of her? Jezebel's not a woman with makeup, okay? Okay? Uh, you know, I grew up in the church. That's what I grew up as a little boy thinking that was. Because I grew up in the church. I was raised in the early church and up until we were about 12 years old that said women could not wear makeup, you know. And uh, my deal here is not to promote or not promote makeup, you know, because I'm not married to you. I don't care if you wear none or not. That's your deal, you know. But as far as on my wife, I love it. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but th the point is Jezebel is really pulling the strings behind Ahab, king of Israel. Very wicked, killing prophets of God. Not a good deal at all. Now, Ahab comes out there. They go on this challenge deal, and they go to Mount Carmel, and Elijah lets Ahab and, you know, all the prophets of Baal that they're promoting go first. And, of course, they go through their challenge and whoever. And then they said, whoever answers by fire, let that be God. And they spend, you know, half a day trying to get their God to answer, which is not a God at all. Therefore, he doesn't answer. They, they even get desperate, and they actually cut themselves. You ever heard of people cutting themselves? It's not a new thing, okay? So these guys are cutting themselves. They're doing weird stuff, trying to evoke the presence of their God to answer by fire to show these Israelites that their God's not real, but that never happens. And actually, you know, it's, it's almost comical. Elijah begins to mock them. He actually says in Hebrew, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. That's what he said to them. He said, maybe your God's gone on a journey. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. That's why he's not, I mean, he's mocking these guys. Well, they get through, you know, with their deal. It doesn't work. Here comes Elijah. He gets up there, restores the physical altar, puts things in order, does all the stuff. There's preaching and all that, but I just don't have time. And then he prays a 52-word prayer, not a big long prayer, 52 words, and the power of God falls from heaven. Fire falls, and, and, and of course, God is God, big time. And he's supernaturally empowered by God, and he destroys these prophets of Baal that are standing in opposition to him. And uh, how many would say, as far as the spiritual victory, he's had a great day. He had a big day. Now, right after that, next chapter, 1 Kings 19 and verse 1, it says, when Jezebel heard about what had happened, it says she sent a message to that prophet, Elijah, and says, so God, may, may, may the gods do also gods, plural, May the gods do also unto me, if not by this time tomorrow, I do not have your life. In other words, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. You've got 24 hours, and I promise you, and I swear on the gods, you will be a dead man. That's not a message you want. That's not a text you want, right? And this is what the Bible said. It said, listen, it said, when Elijah saw that, it didn't say when Elijah heard it. It didn't say when Elijah read the text. It said, when Elijah saw that. Now, how do you see that? Because you heard the words, and then you play your funeral in your mind. See, our mind has the ability, when the doctor says, blah, blah, this, this, then you see it. You see your destruction. You see your defeat. You see your addiction. You see it, and you begin playing the video. But that video is not from God. That is not from God, and that is not your future, and that is not God's plan for you. Now, the Bible says, when Eli listen, when Elijah saw that, he ran for his life. Now, you've got to let that sink in. This is a guy that just the day before has killed 450 prophets of Baal with, by his hand. 450 men, grown men. Now, one woman has said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, and he's running in terror. That, that doesn't make sense to us. Man, when you're tired, when you're worn out, I'm just talking about from working your job and living life and paying bills and doing your thing. It don't take a big problem to knock you down. It, it don't take something major. I mean, you, you can come home and your washing machine's tore up and you can just, oh, God almighty. I mean, you just go into in other words, your reaction doesn't match what's going on in your life. You're worn out, man. You're just, you're, you're burning the candle both ends and the middle. You're, you're just worn out. And you're not taking things very well, even though you may be saved. But you're not taking it well. Now what happens to him, he runs for his life, and then he gets in a cave. 
You can read it later. Sometimes you want to, or just listen to me. But he goes into a cave. Now, he went into a literal cave. We go to us to a spiritual cave. It's called going into your bedroom, closing the blinds. <laughs> you don't want no light in there. You just, you just zone in. You go internal on yourself, but you're not looking to God that's inside you. You're looking to yourself. To him, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. To him, he's done with it. And so he actually starts praying that God would kill him. I don't know if you've ever hurt so bad that you ask God to take you on, but I would have to be honest to say I have. And it wasn't like even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, it was like even so come quickly, get me out of this. Because I can't take this no more. Uh, I couldn't take it to start with. It was God that was really bearing the weight. You know, Elijah just... He, he, you know, he just, he, he just, he's in depression. You can't color it any other way. He's depressed. He's begging to die. He has no hope for the future. And, and actually when he said, when he asked God to take his life, he says, you know, take my life. This is what he says, for I am no better than my father's. I don't know if you can hear that, but what he's saying is, why did I think I could do it? They, they didn't do it. Now, I thought I could, and now it's obvious that I can't. I, what, in other words, what he's saying is all that I did on Mount Carmel, and, and, and God even answering supernaturally by fire, and me being supernaturally empowered by God to kill 450 of their false prophets, they were clearly demonstrated to throughout the whole nation that God is God. And I thought that we were going to enter into a great revival, and we were going to have a great move of God, and Jezebel would get saved and get on our worship team, and it was going to be a wonderful, you know, hallelujah hootenanny and it didn't turn out like that and if that didn't convince her and if that didn't turn the hearts of the people then all this is going to hell in a handbasket and I'm not going to try no more because it don't work no way that kind of deal is going on now with a lot of churches and pastors and people people quitting by the droves I don't know why you want to go to heaven if you don't want to go to church. It's going to be kind of similar. I mean, if, you, if you're not enjoying church at all, I realize heaven's going to be better. Don't get me wrong. Don't send me no email. But don't send me no email like you done been there because you don't know. But if you don't want to go to church, why do you want to go to heaven? I really get worn out as a pastor, and I probably should leave this part out in the message, but I'm just too mean not to. I get tired of running them people in Lowe's and Publix and Home Depot, and, but it's too dangerous to come to church. I, I'm sorry. I just don't get it. Just don't get it. Just don't get it. Hey, if you're looking for an excuse, baby, you got you one now. Just own it. Just say, I don't want to come. Don't blame it on COVID. Don't blame it on, just say, I don't want to come. I can just discern Facebook things getting turned off now. <laughs> the truth will make you mad. Hallelujah. know there's stuff that affects us in our life and Elijah was he was that guy now he's in that depressive state how's God going to deal with him because there's a problem beneath the problem now the problem is this right here and cut to the chase is before Elijah and most of you I've taught you this but this is a little nuance in scripture that if you don't read it very carefully and closely you'll miss it before Mount Carmel, before that great event, Elijah made a statement of his belief system. One of the things that he believed was, he says, I am the only one left. That's what Elijah said. Now, he said that in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18 before Mount Carmel ever went down. You understand me? So I want, it's very important you get that. So I want you to understand that inside Elijah 
was a wrong belief. Now, he's still God's prophet, and he's God's man, and God's going to use him powerfully, but that don't mean he believes everything right. And that's the same way it is with us. God loves us. God's going to use us in spite of us. But just because God comes with great power and, and something happens or you pray for somebody and that got healed, that doesn't mean God's endorsing everything in your life or every belief system that you hold. And, and you've got to get that. And you go, well, I don't understand how this guy could be used so powerfully of God. And then he, because God's God. And, and, and so, so Elijah believed something wrong, but even though he believed something wrong, God still used him. God didn't go, I'm mad at you until you get all your ducks in a row. I'm not going. No, that's not the way God is. And, and if God waited for us to get our ducks in a row, we would never be used. None of us. None of us. So what's causing the depression and praying to die and the giving up and the quitting? It's, it's not what was done to him. It's not circumstantial things. It's not really the text from Jezebel and the threat. Is his belief system. What's the problem? He believes something that's not true. We do this ministry, we, you know, we, we, still, we, we still are available for that. It's a ministry that, that, that's worldwide, really, but it's called Theophostic Ministry. Theo means theology, Theo, God. Phostic means light. Listen to me. Every problem that you and I have, as an unbeliever and a believer, is due to that we believe a lie. We, we believe a lie about God. We believe a lie about ourselves. Or we believe a lie about others. There's things that we believe that are not true. I see it all the time. People believe things. They're just, I, I'm like, how in the world can they believe that? Yet I remember 30 years ago, I believed like that. My mind's being renewed. Renewed to what? To renewed to the mind of Christ, to, to think the thoughts that are God, this, that God's not who that they told me he was. I still read people, well, Adam and Eve sinned and God kicked them out of the, it don't say that in the Bible. God didn't kick them out of the garden. We, we, God kicked them out. God was mad. He kicked them out. God, God removed them from the garden. It says, lest they eat of the tree of, the, of life and stay in that perpetual fallen state. And it said that God placed cherubims there not to kill them if they tried to come back in, but to keep the way back to the garden. See, we missed, we, just, we don't even read the book. God did all that because of love. God gave them a promise as soon as they messed up. God said, there's one coming of woman that will redeem all this and make all this right. He prophesied Messiah, prophesied Jesus right then. And, and so, so what's causing the problem? It's wrong belief. What's causing our problem? And so when the light, the, the Bible says, the entrance of thy word bringeth light. That's what the Bible says. So when you read the Bible, you hear somebody preaching and teaching the Bible, what's going on in now is that light is coming to you. Light's coming. Now what that light does is light does not negotiate with darkness. If we had all the lights off in here, you would think it very foolish if I gathered you in this room, we had all the lights off. I said, I want everybody to come to the altar so that we will pray that the darkness would leave the room so that we may turn the lights on. How long would we have to pray? You can feel busy and you feel like you're accomplishing something because you're working for the king. Listen, you're doing nothing. That's why a lot of Christians, well, we, you know, we're, we're going to pray the darkness away. You don't have to pray the darkness away. We're going to pray, we're going to go on a prayer walk, and we're going to bring down principalities and powers. Hey, you ever read Colossians? Jesus already did all that. There's no principalities for you to fight with. There's no principalities for you to go to war with and bring down. The Bible said he brought every one of them down. He destroyed them. He made an open shame to them. It's in the Bible. We're going to go on a prayer journey, and we're going to march around, and we're going to... You're just getting exercise. Well, that makes intercessors mad at me. By the way, there is no gift of intercessor in the Bible anyway, but, but there's prayer in the Bible, and I do believe in people interceding. But the intercessor is a person, and his name's Jesus. And, and an intercessor is one that goes before you to get you in to see somebody important. And Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the way home. And home is not heaven. Home is the Father. Heaven's just icing on the cake. Amen. 
So you 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 got to see this that 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 it's what you believe, and you'll never change what you believe until the Word of God is flowing and coming and and, and illuminating our minds and changing our thoughts, and we begin to. To, to see things as God sees it. Because this world and the culture around us, we are inundated with something that is totally not godly. I still see Christians all the time. They're posting stuff, you know, and, and, and they speak of holiness as something that you achieve. And righteousness is something that if you hang in there long enough, you'll achieve it. And it's none of that. And the Bible is so clear and the New Testament is so clear that you were born the true holiness, Ephesians says. You, you were born with true righteousness, and it was a gift. And because it's a gift, you did not earn it. And because it's a gift, you cannot unearn it. Amen? So the cure for Elijah, God's real gentle with people, and he loves us. And when you're really messed up, he don't come and beat you up. Never does he do that. He doesn't talk to you rough. He doesn't say, what you need is a swift kick in the pants. He, he doesn't do any of that. We do that. God doesn't do that. What God does is he comes to him and he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you in this game? And he, he has this rehearsed. He said, for I have been very zealous for my God. And, 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 and then he says, you know, uh, they've killed all the prophets of God. He starts telling all the bad news. He, he just gives the news report. It's really bad. And he said, I was very zealous. And then he says this. He ends this little uh, you know, tirade, you know, said, I'm the only one left. And he says that to God. God doesn't say anything. He says, well, you, you can't go in your own strength, so you, you need to, first they told him, he said, Here, you know, here's something to drink and then take a nap. So he drinks and he takes a nap. Then God comes to him a second time and says, why are you here in the cave? And he goes through the whole, it's the very same thing. I've been zealous for God. All the prophets are dead. This thing's going to hell in a handbasket, and I'm the only one left. God says, here's something to eat. Here's something to drink. And he, and he looked, and he saw, he saw bread baked on coals of fire, it said, and he saw drink. That means if Publix ain't here, God can still feed you. I mean, if you got to that place where you just had God has proven in the Bible he's brought groceries. <laughs> so he eats the bread, he drinks the drink, he takes another nap. You know what you need sometimes? You just need a nap. You have better attitude if you just take a nap. You just need, you're, you're acting mean, and like we say in the South, you're acting ugly. People up north, they think that's so weird. We say they're acting ugly, but you're acting ugly and you're saying death, defeat, you know, and you don't want nothing to do with God, and I understand it. Go take a nap. You just, you just need to eat something and take a nap. You're, you're, you're burned out, burned up, whatever. Third time God's come to him. Now listen, each time God listens to him say a lie, I'm the only one left, and he doesn't say anything. Because see, sometimes you've got to be built up enough to hear the truth. And what he needed was nap and food. <laughs> Third time God comes, what are you doing here? I'm, saying, he, I'm the only one left. Then God says to him, listen to him, he says, you're not the only one left. He said, for I have 7,000 that have never bowed their knee to Baal at one time. It, it, that's something. God says, i got 7,000. See, just because you ain't got a lot of people in your church, that don't mean everything going to hell in a handbasket. God got more than 7,000. God's got more than 7 million. Listen, and, and, and so when he heard the truth, you know what he did? His depression left. <laughs> He's like, you got 7,000 besides me? Man, I thought I was the only one left. <clears throat> you See, you believe wrong. Some of you, you have some real problems going on in your life because somebody lied to you about God. They told you God did this, God did that. They told you God did this evil to you. They're trying to teach you something. They're calling you know, all these kind of lies, and, and, and you believed it and, and it, and it's affected your relationship with God. It's hard to go and worship and be intimate with a God that you think that sent all this trauma and damage. God's not the author of your pain. He's the author of your faith. 
Every good gift comes from the Father. If it's got to do with stealing, killing, and destroying, that's the devil. Don't ever get them confused. The thief cometh not but to kill, steal, destroy. So anything that comes under that, those headings, killing, stealing, destroying, does cancer come under one of those? Sure it does. It's not God. God didn't send it. God didn't endorse it. And I don't care what the Christians tell you, he didn't allow it. Same difference. He, don't play word games with us. It's not God. The reason it's not God because this ain't heaven. This is not heaven yet. So why are you freaking out because everything ain't just like it is in heaven right now? It's not there. God wants it to be. He said, pray that my will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. He said, it's not my will that anybody on earth should perish, but yet people are perishing. But God says, don't get confused. That's not what I want. That's not my plan, and that's not my will. But my will's not always done on earth. I'm not super in charge of everything and endorsing every problem that happens and I'm behind. No. No. It's not God. He's not the author of that. He's not the author of evil. He's not the one that's causing the pain and the problem. He, he, he's not. But, I mean, there's a lot of Christians. They just can't even get that down. So you've you got, you got to understand, when he heard the truth, when Elijah the prophet heard the truth, I'm, you're not the only one, then he immediately got out of the cave. And then God, now that he's got his strength back, God says, now there's a couple of, three people I want you to go and lay your hands on as my prophet, and I want you to... To anoint them. Now, so he goes to those three people. Now, one of those three people that God sent him to, he said, "Now, I want you, you're going to find him, you're going to find this guy named Elisha. I want you to go find him, and I want you to take your mantle, your cloak, and I want you to put it on him." In other words, he was transferring, you know, he, he was transferring uh, the prophetic mantle to that was an Old Testament deal. It's not a New Testament deal to Elisha. Y'all heard of that dude, right? Now, in, you know, it, he's the one that prayed for a double portion because Elijah kept seeing this guy follow him after he did that. And, you know, he put his mantle on him one day. He saw him out plowing, you know, with oxen, and he puts his mantle on him and just lets him feel what it feels like to be under that prophetic mantle, and he takes it back. And so then the guy starts following him. Surprise, surprise. And then Elijah keeps telling Elisha, you stay here while I go yonder. He must have been from the south because he said yonder. He said, you stay here while I go yonder. And, El and Elisha said to Elijah, I will not go yonder. I'm staying with you. And they went through that four times. And all that's prophetic and has significant meaning. But, but he finally he looks at him after he went through those four different cities and said, you stay here. Well, he, he was just testing the dude to see if he had what it had to, to, to do this thing. And after four times, he's still following the guy. And he said, well, let me ask you this. What do you want? He said, I want a double portion of what you got. Now, see, I was raised up in church, Pentecostal church, charismatic, and we would have double portion prayer lines. It was all foolishness, and we just didn't know any better. See, because if you can get a double portion, it means you, there's a portion you're missing. And we didn't know that. We thought we was like, we know we lived on more God. We just need more of you. And we would line up and pray for double portions and triple portions and all that. And, and people would line up for it, and we'd lay hands and Double portion, but you wasn't getting it because God already gave it to you when you got born again. He gave you the fullness of God bodily. He gave you Christ. He gave you the best he had. He gave you all that he had. Now, what we should have had is we're going to have a double portion awareness line so that you'll be aware and awakened to what God has done and what you have on the inside of you now that you're born again. But we just didn't know. We, in our ignorance, we were just doing. So we would reach into the old covenant, into an inferior covenant, and pull out something and make it a New Testament thing. And it just wasn't that deal. Just wasn't that deal. And, and, and so the truth came when he said, what do you want? I said, I want double. And, of course, if you want to get mathematically, you can count seven miracles that Elijah did. You can count 13 that Elisha did. Well, I thought it was double. And I always thought that was kind of weird. I'd read the Bible, and you just, I could not, there's not, I couldn't count but 13. You know, to me, I thought, man, this thing would look great if he did 14. But it looks like we got a little, little bleep on the radar here because he did 13 and he's dead. Man, why can't it be 14? And I'd read it and look again and count one, 13 miracles. And then I kept reading the Bible, and one day I found out there was a battle going on, and one of the Israelites was killed in the battle, a soldier. 
And the Bible said they took him to the tomb where Elisha was buried. And they throwed his body in that tomb. And it said when that dead soldier's body hit the bones of Elisha, he got up and run back out the grave. <laughs> there goes number 14, y'all, in case you didn't know that. So he, so he got double. He did a double the miracle. He even did one while he was dead. Hallelujah. You can't beat that. I mean, even his bones still had power of God. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and the truth set that guy free. When he said, you're not the only one left, Elijah. And he got up and he went and anointed these people. Another significant guy that Elijah anointed after he got out of the cave and got the truth in him was a dude named Jehu. Anybody ever heard of that brother? He was a soldier. Now, Jehu's the one that rode into Israel. And this was sometime later. But he rode into Israel. And there's Jezebel looking out the window. Now, this is where all the preachers in the old days would get on about the makeup because it talked about that a little bit. But she, she had herself all fixed up looking pretty. And she's looking out the window, you know, upstairs from the palace. And, and this is what the Bible said. Now, listen to me. She was surrounded by eunuchs. Anybody know what a eunuch is? Okay. That, that is a man who has been removed of his ability to reproduce and be productive. He can't. Give life. You understand what I'm saying, right? Don't make me sand it down no better than that. Okay? All right. Now listen to me. I mean the spiritual meat out of this. Jezebel is looking out her window. She's literally mocking Jehu. And she says, who is it, you know, that has come today and all this stuff? And, and, and he looks at those eunuchs that are, they're, you know, they're surrounding her. This had to be some kind of big wind to deal, I guess. He can see all the eunuchs. Now, those eunuchs have been castrated, and their purpose now, sole purpose, is to be in bondage and servitude to Jezebel to do what she says. They have lost their ability to be productive and fruitful in their lives. Now, what I'm talking about is people that have believed the lies of the Jezebel spirit and they have lost their ability to be productive and fruitful in their lives. And the reason is because they believe the lies. They don't believe they have any power over this problem. They don't believe that they have power to overcome their addiction or whatever it is. They believe the lies. They live the lie. But the truth is, is what Jehu's just preached to him. He looks at those guys. Now, he sees Jezebel. She's flashing her eyes and doing all that. But he ain't moved by that. And he looks at those guys and his heart goes out to them. And this is what he says in the old King James. He says, chunk her down, boys. Throw her down. He told them guys to grab hold of who's in charge of them and to throw her out the window. To set yourself free of this. He, said, he literally says, in the, in the, chunk her down, throw her down. They never even believed. They never heard nobody preach like that. That they had the ability to throw her down, God-given in that moment. They, those eunuchs grabbed hold of that woman and throwed her out the window. She dashed on the cobblestones, and Jehu took it. You ain't going to like all this, but this is the deal. Jehu took his horse and had his horse stomp her to death. That ended her tyranny and her reign in bondage in Israel. That put an end to it. God ordained to remove that in that old covenant system that was had, had his whole nation in bondage. People don't realize that you got the ability to throw it down. You, you really do because God has given you the ability. You don't have to believe those lies. The problem a lot of times is not the problem. The problem is beneath that problem. And God is showing you and telling you and speaking to you today and he's, I'm going to tell you something, what he's doing, he's revealing to you what the real problem is. And I could give you the long list, and they, but you already, the Holy Spirit's working with me, I promise you, and he's telling you what the list is. He, this is. This is why you do that. If you think you're at a place in your life where you can say, well, Pastor, I, I don't really know what my problem is. Yeah, listen, yeah, you do. And if you don't, all you got to do is ask the Holy Spirit, who will do what? Will lead and guide you into all truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what free and him who the sun sets free they're free indeed and that means really 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 free 
Man, what would it be like to be really, really, really free of that? What would that feel like? How would your life be different if you was really, really, really free? Whatever that is, you fill in the blank. That's what God wants for you today. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to tell you, man, we, we're always, I, can, can I ask, I'm going to do something different. I don't even know what time it is because they turn my clock off. They must want me to keep preaching. <laughs> like, can, can I just ask you to do this because ain't nobody here but us. Uh, could you just come with, would you just come and stand in the altar area with me, just spread out around here and just let me pray over you before we go, before I dismiss you. Just everybody, just family kind of a deal. Come and stand. I, you know, you don't, I hope you know that the altar, it's not even 12, we're, we're doing good. The altar's always open. And we'll always pray with you, privately, whatever. We, we, we'll always do that. Thank you for doing that. Father, I pray today as, as your people, we, we, we've gathered in your name. And God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you address the problem beneath the problem, the crisis beneath the crisis. That we would not waste time, energy, and effort fighting shadows and things that are not really the problem. And I pray by the power of the illumination of the Holy Spirit that is the spirit of truth who will lead and guide us into all truth and that truth that becomes known to us, just like the truth became known to Elijah, that he had believed a lie. You're not the only one. Well, I want to say, Father, I pray that you'd reveal to us that we're not the only one going through what we're going through. We're not the only one that's ever overcome what we're going through. We're not the only one. God, that's the enemy trying to make us self-centered and self-focused. But I pray, God, that we would look to you to lead and guide us into the truth that makes us free. And I pray that for every person. I pray that if a person that's listening to this does not know Jesus Christ, they believe today, that they become that believer today. In Jesus' name. Now, listen, let me say this. It just come to me. I think it's John 6, 28. They gathered around Jesus and they said, Lord, tell us what we must do to work the works of God. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, to believe on him who sent him. On him, Believe on him who he sent. In other words, Jesus said, if you want to work the works of God, you know how you do that? You don't get out and get busy, 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 and working, working, working. You believe on me. That's the only work you have to do. The only work you have to do that I have to do is to believe on Jesus Christ. To believe in him, to believe he's given you everything that's pertaining to life and godliness and he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the word of God. That's the New Testament. God's already given you all that. And the more time you spend thinking that there's something missing in your life and it's out there somewhere, if you've been born again, saved, whatever terminology you've got to to convey that, but if you've been born from above, God in that moment, that miraculous moment, deposited in your born-again spirit everything you would ever need. And so when I say now that's on the inside of you, I'm not talking about you yourself and your intellect and your training and your experiences. I'm talking about the gift of God. You are now righteous and you will forever be righteous. You are now declared holy and you'll ever be holy. You're not righteous because you always behave righteously or look righteous. You're, you're righteous because God says you are. And God took his righteousness and he, and he gave it to you as a gift. And the more that you realize that I am righteous and that I am that, then you'll start living that out more and you'll look more like that. We'll always have room for improvement of what we display. But just because we don't display it in full don't mean we don't have it in full. Amen? And Crawford, I dreamed about you last night. Uh, Crawford is one of our elders here, in case you don't know. <laughs> Man, I love you, buddy. You know that. Oh, uh, kind of a different dream. But anyway, sometimes, you know, when you're in the dark, you need somebody to holler about the light. And when you're in the wilderness, you need them to preach to you about the promised land. But I heard the Lord last night, and I saw you. Uh, and, and I'm just declaring to you that by the Spirit of the Lord, God's about to elevate you in, into a new level 
of influence and notoriety. I saw people reaching for you that you would have never in a million years dreamed would reach for you, for your expertise, for your political and governmental uh, giftings and experience. And I declare to you by the Spirit of the Lord that it is not over. The greater days are not behind you, but they are actually before you. And that God is elevating you to that greater uh, notoriety. And you don't have to worry about, even though you're in marketing, this ain't going to come from marketing. This is going to come from the Spirit of God. And God is even now moving upon people that will reach out to you. They want what you God's put in you. They want what you got. And they don't even know it yet, but they will. And you're going to see greater days. You're going to see greater financial uh, blessing in your own personal life and business and your endeavors. You are not done as far as political and governmental influence. And, in fact, uh, you're just getting started. And, and I, I saw you walking on the beach uh, last night and, and – uh, and I saw just weird-looking tracks and stuff in the sand, and I saw people gathering around those tracks. And this is the part that just it's a little bit abstract, but I saw, and they were all trying to figure out, you know, what, what made this and what is this, and they were very concerned, and, and I saw God sending you to that. And you just looked at that, and you said, well, this is, you know, this is this, is this. and you were just telling them what it was. And, and it was alleviating their fear, and it was solving their problems, and, and, and they were being able to go on about their lives, and, and it was just so clear and evident to you what it was. And you would tell them, well, this is not that. This is what it is. And they would just uh, acquiesce with that and fall in line with that, and, and, and God's got that for you, buddy. And I, and I just bless you with that today, and I praise God. Uh, for that encouragement to you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I love Saturday nights because I don't know what's going to happen in my dream time. And, uh, you know, if I ever pray and ask God to give me a dream, I never have gotten one, not one. But if I just go to bed and watch TV, and then I'll get a dream. Hallelujah. And, and, then I'll, and, and some of them actually might be from God, like that one. Uh, but, uh, man, I love you guys, and uh, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here, uh, even on this holiday weekend. We all didn't go to the beach, did we, Hallelujah. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad you're here, and, and we love you. Uh, we want to do more and be more to you than just, a, you know, a guy that comes and preaches to you. If you ever need us, you ever need me, you need these elders. We love you. We meet. We pray. We care about you. And I know all this thing with all this stuff has been a – uh, and has been and, 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 and continues to be a tremendous challenge. And most of us in this room have lost people that we love and were shocked by their departures. I have, and I know many of you have. And it just, man, there's times you don't know what to believe and what to do. And it's, a, it's one of the most, you know, difficult times. And I would just say to you, just for prayer, not that can I go in. You know, this week, my wife will know, from Monday through this, up to this prayer, it's been one of the most difficult weeks in our own, our lives. It's just been, like they say, hell on wheels. It's just been difficult, difficult, difficult. Not because, it's, I just can't go into detail, but it's, you know, our heart has been broken uh, by things and, and, and in our, our own family and stuff. And it just, and, and we pray for, for people. And we, we, you know, we love our family. We love our kids. And we love, you know, but things don't always go like you want it to go. And sometimes, you know, if I went by what I felt like, I wouldn't even come today. Really, I'm serious. I'd have just said, and I talked about it, didn't I? <laughs> hey, I'm allowed. I talked about it to my wife. I said, I'm just going to call Johanna and just let her, you know, I said, that little gal's always ready. She's, she's got a sermon. She's ready to go all the time, glory to God. And, uh, and I could have easily done that, but I didn't have nowhere to go and nothing to do. And, hey, I thought I'd come to church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jill said, you got to go. You're the pastor. Hallelujah. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, there we get we get down sometimes, don't we? Am I just weird? And, 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 and because if, you, if you're not careful, you'll start believing something that the enemy's saying to you. You'll believe that this is the future or this is very bleak. This is how it's going to end. But it's not how it's going to end. You, you, you have to believe the blessed hope that's on the inside of us. And it's not how it's going to end. And you have to tell yourself that, and you have to tell those around you that, and you have to live in that and, and walk in that faith and that confidence. And don't lay it aside, the Bible says. Don't lay aside the confidence. And, and you, you continue in that hope, that this a sure hope that God's put on the inside. And what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. 
And I just pray today that if you're, if you're dealing with depression or something like that, listen, my, man, my heart goes out to you because I have rode that ride and I can give tours how to get there, okay? I'm serious. But if you, if you go back and look at it, it's because we're believing something that is not true. We've diminished the power of God in our thoughts. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. You can't make God larger than he is, but you can make him larger in your mind, right? You can believe bigger than you believe because sometimes we got too big a devil and too small of a God, right? But magnify the Lord with me. That's why it just helps when you're with me. I put that up a lot of times on Facebook. We're stronger together. We are stronger together, church. So you stay together, stay with your family, be involved in the community groups and stuff like that. Because I've never yet in all these years, I've never had any, in all the church, the, the two churches I've had, I've never had anybody say, you know, I went to the community group and, and man, that was a bummer. I mean, <laughs> they always, if you go to it, make that effort. I mean, it's, it's just an encouragement and a blessing. Particularly, you know, sometimes people come to me and say, well, Pastor, I just don't feel like I fit in and this and that, and I feel lonely and I ain't got no friends. And then the first thing I ask them, I say, are you involved in anything besides just the Sunday morning service? Are you involved in any of the, if it's a woman, ladies' groups, are you involved? No. Well, here we go then. We have found <laughs> a, a, a solution here. And so if you don't have friends, you know what the Bible says about that? It addresses it. How do you get friends? What does the Bible say? Show yourself what? Friendly. Show yourself friendly. That's how you get friends. Sitting home in the dark with the shades pulled, that don't get you friends. That, that makes you depressed. Okay? And I ain't talking about friend clicks on Facebook. <laughs> I ain't talking about that. I'm talking genuine, real friends. I don't ever look for a bunch of them. But if you got one or two or three, man, you are rich. You are blessed. Amen. Love you guys. Go enjoy your Sunday. Yes. Oh, my God. Look at that.